Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people, like you, make better informed money decisions. Each episode, Andrea Fox grills a guest to get the best tips on issues such as savings, pensions, budgeting, debt, family finance, marriage and retirement. She's finding the answers we're looking for and getting expert tips that you can put into action. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Hello, I'm Andrea Fox, presenter and broadcast journalist, and welcome to the first ever episode of The Penny Drops, where I speak to some of the best financial experts out there. And on this episode, I'm speaking to Jasmine Bertels, a stand-up comedian, money expert and TV personality who puts the funny into money. And we're kicking off the series by answering some of your most frequently asked financial questions. Jasmine, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure and a joy and a thrill to be here. (laughs) feel like you've got the toughest task, though, because we're going to do like a run riot through the most popular questions are coming everything in the next half an hour so rolling up my sleeves right now let's (laughs) go for it have you done your stretches (laughs) (laughs) okay first up saving when so much of our money goes on rent bills mortgages how can we save Well, the number one thing to do is to save before you spend. So in other words, what I say to people is pay yourself first. Because I'm I'm always talking to people and this this is, you know, just friends or actually on TV and radio where where you have a presenter going, but I I can't save. I don't have any money left at the end of the month. And I go, no, of course you don't. Nobody, (laughs) nobody has any money at the end of the month. That's why you have to do it at the beginning of the month. Come at yourself from behind. (laughs) Sneaky savings, this is it. So what you have to do is set up a standing order or several standing orders that go out at the beginning of the month uh, or whenever you pay your bills, you know, you gas, Mm -hmm. electricity, whatever. You've got those on direct debit or standing order or whatever. Um, Once you've got your money in, set up these standing orders automate it because this is the best way to do it. Then you don't have to think about it. The money goes into a savings account. Maybe it goes into a pension. Maybe it goes into a a stocks and shares, ISA, whatever, Mm. you know, but you are paying yourself, particularly paying your future self before you pay the bars and the restaurants and the supermarkets and the the travel agencies or whatever, whatever. Right at the beginning. That's what you got to do. I love that. You just need to think about your savings as paying yourself. It's something I've never heard before, but makes such sense. Mm -hmm. And that's what you call it. I'm paying me, paying yourself first. (laughs) So when it comes to cutting down on our spending, maybe so we Mm -hmm. can afford to pay ourselves our saving at the start of the month, um, other than cutting up our credit cards and freezing them in the freezer somehow, what do you recommend to cut down on spending? Absolutely. Yes. Cutting up your credit cards, freezing, (laughs) yes, sticking your your credit card in a a bowl of water and sticking that in the freezer. Brilliant, brilliant um, for for stopping yourself if you're watching QVC and you just have to have that jewel encrusted wok polishing kit. Oh, yeah, no. you have to take it out and I let really it wanted melt. That, <laughs> well, there are a few things we can do. And I think, you know, when it comes to spending, there's the painful way and there's a painless way. So start with the painless way. Um, this, of course, is what we're, we've had. We're having this drummed into us now, but it's it's about switching your bills. So you look at the boring bills that you have to pay, your gas and electricity, your insurance, uh, maybe a mortgage, those sorts of things, um, communications, etc. And once a year, possibly more, but generally speaking,
speaking, I wouldn't say more than once a year. Um, look at look to switch these to to cheaper versions. So, and what I often say is, you know, it could be phew, January, maybe that that week between Christmas and New Year when nothing happens. You wonder why you're bothered living. All you know, <laughs> yes, exactly. And you think, what? Well, which planet am I on? You know, that sort of time. Tell yourself, right, I'm going to sit in front of my computer, pour yourself something, a glass of something fortifying, get all your bills out and think, right, now I'm going to spend one or two, well, maybe just one hour actually, and I'm going to save myself a thousand pounds over the year. You wow. know, I mean, literally aim to save yourself a load because, you know, it's amazing how it adds up. If you if you switch your, say you switch your gas and electricity, um, you could save at least 20 quid a month, at least. Um, and that's, you know, that's 240 quid in the in the year. So that's one. Um, <laughs> switch your car. Yeah, tick. <laughs> switch your car insurance. I, I saved 400 quid on mine a couple of years ago. Wow. You know, it's another one. So all these, your broadband, your phone, your whatever, um, just do it. Get it out of the way, and um, and so that's one great way of of painlessly, mm-hmm. really saving money. Then the painful way is when it comes to your your discretionary spend, spending on fun things like cake and <laughs> dresses and holiday, you know, all crystal encrusted walks. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so that's where it's a really good idea. Once every I don't know three or four years to do a spending diary. So with a spending diary, the idea of a spending diary is you can do it old school or you can do it new school. Um, Doing it old school is literally having a a notebook around with you. And every time you spend some money, whether it's a bus ticket or whether it's a magazine or whatever, you write it down. Um, There are apps you can get now, various ones. You just just stick it in or there there are the digital banks. they, They have a sort of a budgeting thing for you there. But what it does, if you do that at least for a week, ideally I would say a month, Mm -hmm. then after the end of that, then you can um, maybe set yourself up some columns or if you've got the app, it'll do it for you. You see what you're spending on food and drink, what you're spending on travel, what you're spending on magazines, etc. And it's quite astounding to see where you're wasting your money because most people think to themselves, I'm I'm not a big spender. I haven't got a yacht. But what (laughs) we're doing is we're spending little bits on things going, oh, go on, I'm worth it. Oh, I'm worth that. But actually, we're not. We're not worth it. You are not worth it. Not when it comes to, you know, really literally wasting your money on, well, it could be could be going out, you know, to the to the pub every night, buying rounds, and you suddenly realize that you're you're spending on everybody else's drinks rather than yours. Actually, a bit of a, a tip for you there. Always be the third person to buy a round. It's officially the cheapest round. So what? you look generous, but you're not. Oh, so, man. you know, that's a, a really good way to to work out where you're actually wasting your money day to day and then you can cut back. That is almost life-changing advice there <laughs> about the third round. Uh, and those hair adverts have been lying to us all this time. We're just not worth it. Not worth it. Uh, now, credit scores. What is it and why should I worry about it? Good question. And Credit scores have become more and more um, in the news, I think, over the last few years. Um, and a, a credit score essentially... Um, tells lenders, that could be banks, could be mortgage companies, could be car finance, whether you're good for a loan, essentially. You know, it's because, it's, you know, if, if you and I were, were chatting now, we, we don't know each 
other very well. Um, we'll go if, for some drinks in a bit and I'll exactly. buy the third round. Yeah, do that. And if I said to you, Andrew, can I, I have a thousand quid? Would you, would you lend it to me? Now, you don't know me from Adam and you'd be like, <laughs> oh, I don't know if she's good for it. She looks a bit dodgy, blonde. <laughs> um, and so you'd, you would want to talk to my friends, go, is she all right? You know, if I lend her a thousand, would, uh, would you pay it back? You know. So essentially, <laughs> that's what these credit scores are doing. So the, the, you've got these companies and they're not government, nothing to do with government. They are private companies, um, various ones like Experian, um, Equifax. These these type of pe- uh, companies, um, they develop sort of knowledge about you personally, about your spending habits, about your earning habits. And they are particularly interested in whether you have paid back loans in the past. Even if it was a tenner, you know, did you pay it back? Yes, you did. Um, and so that's that's a tick. That means your credit score goes up. So then when when a mortgage company goes, oh, should, should I should I lend her a hundred grand? They go, yeah, she's all right. She paid that tenner, you know. Um, <laughs> so the higher your credit score is, the more of a good bet you are as far as lenders are concerned. Um, And the ideal is to have a really nice high credit score because then the lenders think, oh, phew, she'll pay it back. Okay, so we don't have to charge her huge amounts of interest. Because if they're worried about you, they'll cover themselves by charging high interest. So that's really why why it's a a concern. Awesome. When it comes to investing as well, Mm. should we all be investing? What investments are available? And most importantly, what is investing? I'm a big, big fan of investing because essentially investing means your money working for you. And essentially, it's putting your money into products that will pay you um, either monthly or, or annually. Um, and ideally with, with investing, certainly if you're investing for your, for your retirement, for example, you're looking to keep reinvesting any money that your money makes. You put it back in the pot so that that can get uh, money paid back on it as well. What investments are available for us? Oh, do you know, we could be here for a whole day talking about all the investments that are available to us. And, you know, there are, there are a few things to think about when it comes to investing. Um, the first one, I think, is that there is a big difference between saving, saving money, putting money into a savings account and investing. And the the problem in this country is we are so ignorant about money because we haven't been taught. You know, mm. I, I don't know about you. I wasn't taught anything no. at school. You know, I taught myself. Could have frankly, skipped some PE for some useful yeah, finance it? lessons. Absolutely, for sure. I'd have done that. I'd have skipped some chemistry. Not a problem. <laughs> I'd have done that. Um, but we, so we know so little that we we don't realise how much money we are losing. Um, through our ignorance. And one of the problems is that that saving and investing are very different. And crucially, you need to put your money, your savings money, which is short term, anything up to five, five years, into one particular type, into some certain particular types of products. Mm-hmm. But investing, which is long term, needs to go in different products, which are going to give you better money. So saving, which is short term, can go into savings accounts, which generally give you very little money. Let's be brutally honest. I mean, it's it's 
shockingly low at the moment. But but historically, it's always been pretty low because savings accounts on the whole have been pretty stable. Mm-hmm. So they're not risky. And, and there, there's that relationship between risk and reward. If it's not very risky, you don't get much reward on the whole. If it is risky, you're more likely, not necessarily, but you're more likely to get more reward. I feel like I should know what inflation means, but I'm just going to admit I don't. What is inflation? Inflation is the price of things going up, essentially. It's it's the cost of living going up. And it also means that the pound in your pocket buys less. So you can see it particularly, for example, with uh, the price of a loaf of bread. Um, so 10 years ago, price of a loaf of bread would be about, let's say, 80p. Um, nowadays, it's more like £1.10. So that shows you that the price of bread, at least, has gone up. And and generally, it's, it's the cost of, of buying your food and uh, various day-to-day expenses that go up. When it comes to mortgages as well, how do we know what size of mortgage we can afford? Oh, good question. Well, quite often, um, you don't have too much of a choice in that. You know, it's up to the mortgage company. Mr. Bank Manager yes, will decide exactly. for us. They'll say, yeah, we're going to give you this. And, and no, you can't have any more than that. Um, but I think with, with your own calculations, when you're thinking about, oh, I'd like to buy a property um, and and you know that you're going to have to borrow quite a lot of money for it, but you're also going to have to put down something of a deposit. Um, obviously, for a start, the, the the higher the deposit you can put, um, the better you will be able. You will be in terms of choice of um, homes to buy. Um, so if you've got ten grand to put down, then you know you're you're likely to be able to get something better more than if you had five grand to put down. Um, but when it comes to really thinking about it seriously for yourself day to day, how much could I afford to pay for a mortgage? It's it's doing that tiresome thing of a budget, really. And <laughs> you know, uh, doing fun, a, fun, fun. Yeah, oh fun, fun, fun. Honestly, I spend a lot of time saying to people, go on, do it, just do a budget. If I could come up with a more exciting word than budget, believe me. I would, but you know, because it's a horrible word. But just even if it's it's just doing yourself a survival budget. So just do a column. Again, there are there are loads of um, budget planners online, so so that makes it nice and easy. Um, just do one column for your your monthly incomings. Add those up. Um, and then a column for your monthly outgoings that that your sort of survival budget i would say um and then take uh, add those up take that away from from your incomings and that gives you an idea of the money you have to play with sort of each month and then you have to work out for yourself okay how much of that am i willing to sacrifice on on a mortgage and of course if you are currently paying a rent you can take that out of the equation because that will be replaced by a mortgage and quite often you will find it and it very much depends on your situation and and what you're going to buy where you live etc you could find that the sort of mortgage that you could afford actually will be lower than the current rent you're paying yeah, i mean this I heard that does, a lot it's crazy really yes, isn't it isn't it and, and you know you you it, it all depends where you're living, how mm. you're living, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so the, I would say um, do a budget, see what's left over and, and do it. Be 
be reasonable with yourself, but also um, don't give yourself too many luxuries, at least for the first couple of years. I think you have to accept that you're going to have to change your life a bit, possibly make a little bit extra at the weekends just to, you know, tide yourself over or ideally um, rent out a room for the first year or so to help with the mortgage, you know, because mm. there are a lot of costs in the first year. Um, and that should give you an idea of what you can reasonably afford each month. Yeah, you don't want to be living on lentils just so you can no. afford a house, right? <laughs> uh, so tricky topic, but what happens to our finances if we get divorced? It is, it's about splitting it fairly. And of course, everybody has a different idea of, of what is fair. Um so th this really is quite often why there's a problem with divorces, why divorces can take longer than they should. Um, but it, it's about disentangling your your finances and your assets. Um, the biggest asset usually is the property that yeah, you where you've been living. Surely, exactly. Mm. Yes, and it will the amount that you each get, and and in fact whether indeed you end up selling it in order to split it will depend on various factors, including whether you have children. Um, and quite often it it happens that um, the wife, who's usually the uh, the caregiver, but might not necessarily be, but tends to be, they're the ones, they will tend to stay in the house with the children and then the house won't be sold until the children get to a certain age. It doesn't always happen like that by any means, but that's one of the things. Um, another thing, usually the second biggest asset and one that people often forget is the pension. And yeah, mm. again, I say the pension because I, I would expect nowadays for both sides to have some sort of a pension. But again, if one has taken time off to look after the children, it's likely um, that they, probably the woman, um, will have a much smaller pension. So whichever has the larger pension um, is likely then to be required to, to hand over some of that pension to the other partner. Um, and this is, this is something that... You you do need proper advice, and and I think you know if, particularly if together you have certain number of assets, you have family, you have this that, and the, just to in order to disentangle yourselves fairly reasonably legally, so that there's no comeback later on, and that can be a problem. It's really good to have proper legal and I would say financial advice as well. So not just a lawyer, but a financial expert, a financial advisor who will remind you about things like pension, life insurance, get that sorted and very much change your will. Mm, yeah, mm. that's all great advice. And it's it gets messy for lots of people. I remember reading Brad and Angelina argued over a vineyard. Oh, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's tough, isn't nice it? Nice problems to have. Exactly. So are loans right for everyone, do you think? I am not a huge fan of loans, if I'm honest. There are Good reasons to, to borrow money, like you know, a mortgage for, to buy a house or, or a loan to pay for uh, your future to, to, to get some education. But a lot of the time, um, we borrow money, I think, because we want something now. And I would like more of us to think about uh, putting off having that fabulous car or that fabulous holiday and actually saving for it. We, that's the way it used to be done, but money has become far too available in the last few decades. Um, but if we could go back to that, maybe selling things that we currently have, um, doing without that extra cup of coffee each day, um, putting a bit of extra cash in um, every every day, every month, whatever. 
you know, over time, that that is certainly the cheaper way to to buy things, and much of the time, it's more satisfying as well. What things should I avoid when getting a loan? Well, my number one concern when it comes to to I would say ordinary loans um, is flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's a really good idea if you possibly can to get a loan that could potentially be paid off early, because. You know what it's like when when you borrow money, and and I do get cross again about the the word borrow. Mm. You know this is this is typical of of the the way that we have say words in in the finance arena. Because you know if I asked you to borrow your pen, I wouldn't expect you to go. Yeah, that'll be a fiver. Thank you. <laughs> you know the word borrow assumes free. You you're mm. lending something, but it's not. When we borrow money, we rent it. That's such a good point. We do, don't we? You know because you if you said we'd like to rent some money, you think. No, you know, you yeah, just it's wouldn't. like tax relief as well. Yes. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So when you borrow money, you you really rent it, and you rent it by that's what they call the you know the interest. So it's at a percentage. So the first thing, obviously, is you want to to go for as cheap a rent as possible, so that you know low numbers are good when when you're okay. renting. So one percent interest is far better than. 12% interest, for example. But the longer you to have that loan, the more months you have to pay rent. So the total amount that you pay is going to be quite a lot more than you would expect. You know, so if you if you borrowed five grand over five years, depending on the interest rate, you could end up paying back six grand. So, you know, it costs it could cost you a thousand pounds. Um, but if you suddenly get money after a, a, a lump of cash after a year, you could potentially pay it off and you would save yourself all of that extra interest. Mm. So I'm very keen for people to get flexible loans and to aim to pay it off as quickly as possible in order to to pay less overall. I love that as well. Renting your loan. Mm. Is, <laughs> I wonder if we can change these financial words. Yeah, wouldn't it be good? <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> How can we prepare financially for our retirement? <gasps> yes, another big subject. Yeah. Big subject. Um, one thing I would say is start as early as you can. And, you know, when I say early, it is possible. If you're a parent, you can actually set up a pension for your baby. Really? You really can. I was thinking yes. about this earlier. Like, mm. you can do it for an ISA. Or I'd heard about that for your yeah, kids. Yeah, junior but... ISA. Absolutely. You can set up a pension. Wow. And, you know, parents, uh, clever parents who know something or, or who have financial advisors who tell them, they're, they're putting, you know, it could be small amounts, could be large amounts. If you're a parent, um, you know, the family can put up to 2880 pounds a year into a pension for a child. It, it's the same, frankly, it's, it, you know, it basically it's anybody who doesn't work can have a pension. They can, they can, somebody can put up to that amount in a pension per year for them. And then the government tops it up with, with the tax that you would have paid. So it could Which be is, grandparents or... Yeah. Absolutely, could be grandparents. And it, it's... You know that that's the great thing about pensions is you immediately get extra money in because the government adds in the tax that you would have paid. So it goes if you if you're able to put the full amount up that that means that you that the child actually gets about three thousand six hundred a year. And don't just think about pensions. As I say, pensions are are a great thing. They have been created specifically for retirement in mind. The the really excellent part is the fact that you get this essentially free money from the government. You get your tax back put back into it. But frankly, you know it's all about creating 
creating a retirement fund, which can be some pensions. Maybe you get a buy-to-let property. Um, I would think ISAs, my, I, I consider my ISAs to be part of my retirement fund. So all of my ISAs are invested in um, equities, in stocks and shares. Mm. I don't have any cash ISAs because I think of it as a long-term thing. So uh, it, over the long-term, shares do much better than, than savings accounts, as I mentioned before. I mean, it could be, um, you could have, you know, if you've got a vintage Barbie doll collection, that, that if you're willing to sell that, that could be part of your retirement fund. Doesn't matter. It's just stuff that, that is valuable that could be sold later on to fund your fabulous lifestyle. I wish I kept my Barbies now, yeah. Jasmine. <laughs> Let's talk about workplace pensions just quickly. The good idea? I'm a big fan of workplace pensions. I've always worked for myself. Personally, I don't like jobs, nasty things. Um, <laughs> I, I, I like to be freelance. But the one big disadvantage of being freelance is that you don't have a lovely employer putting extra cash into your pension as well as the government adding in the tax you would have paid on on it. So I think that anybody who is employed, if you have an employer, um, they are um, legally bound to provide a pension for you. And they are also legally bound to add in at least a bit of money into that pension every month. And if I were, were employed, I would be putting the maximum amount I could into that pension and getting the maximum amount of free money from my employer that I could. Plus, of course, that delicious tax that's paid back by the government. Love the free money there. Love it. <laughs> okay, wills then. Um, how do we make one? Yeah, good. Very good question. Uh, because I would love more people to make a will. And also, once they've made a will, to make sure that their inheritors or their executors know where that will is as well. That's Gosh, a, that's a good point. Mm, St- oh. Not stick it to the fridge, I imagine. Uh, no, somewhere important somewhere, and safe. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, you know, you can you can do your own will. You can get will packs online. You can go to WH Smith, get them. You can just fill one in yourself, make sure you get it And that'll witnessed. have everything we need in it? Not, to be honest, it's not quite, but it's okay. better than nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ideal really is to get somebody who knows what they're doing, basically a lawyer, you know, to, to do it. So the ideal, I would say, is to go to a lawyer. It could be just, you know, one on your high street. Um, it's probably going to cost you between 150, 250 quid. But um, once a year, there is free wills month. And there is also will aid month, if you'd like to give to charity, so that you, you do pay the solicitors, but they then give that money to, to a charity as well. That's great. Um, so it's it's really it's worth doing that and then updating it every now and then. So if you get married, update it. If you have a child, update it. If you get divorced, update it. And, and if your your financial situation changes, maybe suddenly you come into money, you've bought a house, you've bought a business, whatever, change it again then. And as I say, yeah, make sure people know where it is because it's a nightmare trying to find it when somebody passes on. We are whistling through the topics. Another popular one, emergency funds. Mm. How much do we need in one? Well, I hope you're sitting down. Uh oh. <laughs> because the ideal is to have, I, I call it a savings safety net. Okay. And most of us in this country don't at all. You know, I'm constantly getting press releases from companies that go, oh, you know, the average Brit couldn't survive more than a week if they suddenly lost their job. You know, we Limey. just, we don't have savings and we, we mm. do need to. The ideal is to create a savings safety net. So you set up a savings account. Ideally, really, it's sort of a, a fairly easy access savings account, but you do not touch it. And if 
you do, I will come around your house and smack your bottom. Because that is your your self-insurance, your saving safety net. And ideally, once you've done your lovely budget, which of course we're all oh, about to do now. Of course we did that. Once you've done your lovely budget and you have worked out how much you need to have per month to keep body and soul together and keep the roof over your head. Let's say it's a thousand pounds, you know, per month, whatever it takes, that's what it costs you. You need to multiply that by six and have that in your savings safety net. So if it's a thousand pounds a month, you need to have six grand in your savings safety net, which you do not touch unless (laughs) everything goes pear-shaped. And the reason for that is that what what happens is when when we have a life shock like you know, we have a bereavement or a divorce or, you know, you suddenly lose your job under upsetting circumstances. It knocks us sideways. And on average, it can take us around six months to just get ourselves back on our feet, back to back on track and, and earning again. So if you have that money set aside, you can pay the mortgage, you can pay the bills, you can eat. You don't, importantly, you don't need to use your credit cards and get into horrendous debt because you won't be able to pay it off each month, etc., etc. You you can cope um, with those sort of shocks. How would I go about finding out if I'm eligible for any benefits? Now, benefits are... Uh, I consider uh, more complicated than they need to be. But um, there are various places that you can go to to find out uh, what you're eligible for. Um, now, there are a couple of uh, really useful websites um, that, that have calculators. Actually, there are a few websites now that have benefits calculators on them because it's all so complicated. Um, there's uh, Citizens Advice hel- are very good at helping with that. But also there's turntous.org.uk and that's turn number two us.org.uk and also entitled to, and that's the, the full words, entitled to.co.uk. Um, they have benefits calculators. So essentially, you put in your, you know, age, marital status, where you live, you know, all that kind of thing. If you've got children, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and it will then spit out a list of benefits that you could be entitled to. And, and I do recommend that everyone does that, um, particularly if your circumstances have changed, if you've um, retired recently, or you've had a child. Or so. there's a lot of money out there that that c- you could have some of. Wow, could be yours. <laughs> yes. This has been amazing. All of this advice is great, but I'm going to ask you for your top three takeaways for someone sitting at home and listening today. Okay, number one, pay yourself first. I want you to set up at least one standing order from your bank account into at least one savings account now to go out at the beginning of the month or whenever you get your money to look after your future self. Um, another one, and this is this is my um, big tip for wealth long-term is to spend less than you earn and put the extra into various investments long term. And um, my third tip really is to is to actually read one money article uh, a week. Nobody does. You know that, that, that money section that goes straight into the cat tray? <laughs> just just read one. If you have a newspaper or, or sign up to, to a, um, a, a website, you know, there are loads of uh, websites, including my own shameless plug here, moneymagpie.com. <laughs> Fabulous website. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, just read one. It could be a about debt, it could be about credit cards, shopping, whatever. 
because just a little bit of knowledge here and there can make a big difference to your money. Uh, so on to our final question. I'm always intrigued when I chat to someone like you, who's such a finance expert, to know whether you've always been this way. So if 18-year-old Jasmine was in the room, what advice would you give her? Because I went on an 1830s holiday at 18. <laughs> I definitely shouldn't have gone to COS. I should have learned to drive then and there. Uh, so what would you say to your 18-year-old self? Gosh, yes, I knew nothing at that time. Really? Really, that's really so nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, and and I would say to myself, um, take notice again of compound interest. You know that that boring thing you learnt in in maths, or you, you might vaguely remember you you heard it at maths. It's actually a whole load more interesting than you realise. Learn about compound interest. <laughs> so were there any purchases as well? The eighteen year old you, you were like, oh, I wish I put that in stocks and shares. Now I think about it. Well, yeah, I don't think I ever had any money at, at the age eighteen. Um, in fact, one thing I would say to my eighteen year old self is because one thing I've, I've always been good at is um, coming up with little business ideas and, and money-making ideas. Like at university, I had a hair-cutting business, for oh, example. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I need mean, a trim, actually. Well, yeah, I could do it. I could, no experience, no training, but a big <laughs> pair of scissors and a bad attitude. <laughs> But what I would say to myself is, charge more. I only charged a pound a time. And and yeah. I think, you know, that's something that you learn over time. You can actually charge a bit more. People will pay pay more, you know, and particularly if you do it with confidence. So I should have charged more. There you go. Know your worth. <laughs> yes. That is a great one to end on. As always, we will have more resources and links and useful information available in the episode notes. Jasmine Bertel, thank you so much for joining me on The Penny Drops. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Penny Drops. We hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, so please do leave us a review. Or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch at thepennydrops at royallondon.com. This podcast series is brought to you by Royal London, the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company. Royal London. Determination since 1861. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Royal London.